Very cool. I was waiting for Lawson to jump in. Oh, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, let's let's cut all that out and then jump right into this. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat them up. Enjoy. Welcome listeners, new and old. This week, in addition to what we're feeling, we'll be discussing Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's World War II epic. We'll also be chatting about Comic-Con and some of the trailers that came out of that last week. But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and tell the world what is your all-time favorite war movie. I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager from Nashville, Tennessee. And my all-time favorite war movie is a hard question because I really try to avoid war movies. But I remember really loving Atonement the one time I saw it. Mm, yes. I am Lawson Soward, uh, art director in Nashville, Tennessee. And I I don't know. I've, I've seen... I feel like there's a bunch of like classic World War II movies that I have not seen that I should have seen before putting out something like this because right now all of my favorites are like fictionalized like Captain America the First Avenger and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I think my favorite one is Inglorious Bastards though. Oh nice. Also fictionalized. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in the Bay Area, and I really wanted to go with Casablanca, but I feel like that's too war adjacent to actually be a war movie. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Dr. Strangelove. Oh, that was going to... Uh, that's great. That's <laughs> such a good pick. Um, well, every week we have to talk about something we've discovered or rediscovered throughout the week, whether that be movie, TVs, or books, or whatever. So this week, let's talk about what we're feeling. Lawson, what are you feeling this week? All right. What I'm feeling this week, sorry, I feel like I've been kind of like cheating and getting in a couple things uh, at once lately. You definitely have. That's still happening. (laughs) Um, Right now, I've just been really feeling... um, summer music uh i know we had a conversation uh, in a previous episode about songs of the summer and um i still don't know what that song is going to end up being though despacito seems to be kind of like pulling ahead um but i have been loving listening to so much different summer music um we the three of us all put together kind of like our own summer jam playlist and i have been cranking mine it's kind of like Rather than listening to a top 40 radio station every morning, I just listen to the playlist I made. And so it's like that's a top 40 radio station. So those are the things (laughs) that I will associate with the summer. It's kind of like uh, a forced uh, mental bookmark. So that's been really fun. It's been really fun listening to y'alls over and over. Um, And I've also really been getting into uh, a album that dropped last week that is a lot... Uh, different vibe than our summer playlist, which is Lana Del Rey's Lust for Life. Um, Yes. It's an amazing album. It really, really delivers. Uh, I was talking to somebody, and I said, hey, I don't know um, if you're into that kind of music, but Lana Del Rey's new album is really good. And they said, what do you mean by that kind of music? And I said, I think a perfect (laughs) genre qualification for it would be summertime sadness. (laughs) Like, I know it's the name of the song, but like, it perfectly fits that um, 
what her whole vibe is, and it's just so good. I mean, the cover is perfect for this album. I love it. Um, but every song is just really great. She does some collaborations with The Weeknd and some other great artists. Uh, it's so slow and uh, macabre and beautiful uh, and vibey. It's just, it's really, really nice. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm feeling summer music on Spotify right now. There's a lot of good stuff there. Let me just say, the whole album is great, but that Lust for Life single is really my jam right now. It, it's I'm, very good. Uh, it's so perfect and beautiful. Yeah, that was yeah, the one that gets I, stuck in my head. Go ahead, Lucas. I kind of wish she'd come out with this in like two months from now. I feel like that would have been the perfect time for me to like get into it. So I've, I've been I've been saving it this week, but I, I think I'm going to have to jump into it. You really should. I will. I finally, I finally will. <laughs> <laughs> What's, if there's one thing we want to do, it's make listening to music an obligation where you sigh and say, I guess, I guess I will. Yes. <laughs> that's the best way to experience music. Of course. <laughs> All right, Sandra, what are you feeling this week? This week, I am feeling, to no one's surprise, a web series starring, written by, directed by um, a gay comedian. Um, this web series is called The Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo. Um, it's created and stars um, uh, Brian Jordan Alvarez. And I just discovered this this weekend. It was made in 2016. Um, and I just mainlined the whole season of it um, in one sitting. It's five episodes, each varying from about 15 minutes to 20 minutes each. Um, it's available on both YouTube and Vimeo. This series is so special and funny. Um, let me read what IMDb, the IMDb, IMDb has two different taglines for it that I think are both um, really great descriptions. Um, one says, a wondrous story of the complexities of relationships, friendly and romantic, blurring the lines of expected troops through random comedy and a realistic interconnected interaction. And then um, it also says, a fast-paced fringe meets mainstream comedy following a group of young friends desperate for love and thrills. Uh, IndieWire also calls it Will and Grace on Speed, um, which I think is the perfect description of it. It is fast-paced. Um, the comedic timing in the series is probably its strongest um, asset. The editing is hilarious and... Um, it also has a really great cast of young actors that I've never seen before that really have caught my attention. Um, in addition to, of course, Brian Jordan Alvarez, uh, who is like the star of this show and truly like a huge talent. Um, there's a character in this show that's gender fluid whose name is Freckle that gives me some of the biggest laughs of the whole season. Um, yeah, and it's just about friends like falling in love with each other, but also fucking each other, and also, um, like, doing everything in between and being ridiculous. Um, it's really, really funny. I would highly recommend someone take an afternoon and watch the whole thing. And then, when you're done, go through Brian, Brian Jordan Alvarez's entire YouTube account and watch everything he's ever made, because they're all so funny, 
and he has a couple of new web series coming out um, that he has a trailer for that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that sounds great. I wanted to say um, I checked out another web series written by and starring a gay man that you recommended last week, Gay of Thrones. And oh, yes. It is so good. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. It was a great summary. Like, it's one of the quickest Game of Thrones summaries and most entertaining. Because a lot of the other ones are, like, YouTubers where it's just a guy in a backwards baseball cap being like, bro, and then I think this person should be, like, cut up and they should just have their limbs arranged. Like, that would be awesome. And I'm like, no, it wouldn't be awesome. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, it might make sense for the episode or something, but this guy is just calling all kinds of, like, Amazing wordplay, great puns, amazing delivery. People it's he's a lot with are of, hilarious. Like, pop culture references and like true jokes that are being told. Game of Thrones is fantastic, and I am sure that the gay and wondrous life of Caleb Gala will bring other people just as much joy, and that's awesome. Um, one other thing about this web series that I forgot to mention is that I don't know how he gets away with it. I guess just because maybe he's not making money off of this web series, but he uses tons of like big '80s pop culture songs throughout his web series as huh. like music, and um, that really helps. It makes the series so fun, um, and so I am very appreciative of his. I would assume like bucket attitude about right. copyright. Great attitude to have. Yeah. Never gets you arrested. <laughs> All right. Um, well, what I'm feeling this week is a movie that came out earlier this year called The Lost City of Z by James Gray. Have you guys heard of this movie? Okay, uh, my brother-in-law and father-in-law are completely nuts for the book. Like, they think the book is amazing. They will never stop talking about the book. But they haven't seen the movie, and I thats I don't even know what the book's about. Is Brad Pitt in this? Uh, close. Okay. Uh, Charlie Hunnam. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> World War Z. I do love Charlie Hunnam, but that is correct. That yes. <laughs> Brad Brad Pitt was supposed to be in this movie. Uh, he he produced it, um, but he got talked out of it because he is too old for this movie for sure. Um, it's basically the the true. It's the true life drama around the British explorer Percy Fawcett. Um, who kind of explored and mapped the the Amazon um, and was looking for the lost city of Z between the, the years of 1905 and 1925. Um, and so it really spans a good length of this guy's life. And um, it one, it made me actually believe that Charlie Hunnam is a good actor. And I actually really, really liked him in this. Um, it also made me believe that Robert Patterson is a great actor. And I also really loved him in this. Um, Pattinson? Pat, what did I say? Patterson. Oh, Patterson. You're right. Robert Pattinson. Um, right, yeah, Robert Pattinson is a good actor. Um, it also stars Sienna Miller and Tom Holland of Spider-Man fame. Um, and it is a very slow movie. Like it, it feels like an old school exploration movie, like uh, Lawrence of, the Ra of Arabia or something like that. Um, and it's like I, it's going to be a movie. I feel like is hard to watch at home and not like check your phone every once in a while and that kind of a thing. But I feel like the pace of this movie really does a great job of kind of walking you through this guy's life and kind of what he's dealing with as he's um, kind of make, traversing back from, from London to the Amazon and back and forth. Um, we've also got Sienna Miller, not Sienna Miller. What's her name? 
Is it Sienna Miller? Yes. We also have Sienna Miller in here playing as as she always does. The uh, the wife left at home. Um, That's so funny because I've heard so many t- movie critics say that like. Sienna Miller is forever the actress that's like, who is she? Like, she's so famous. Yeah. She's been in so many movies. But every time we see her, we're still like, who? Is I just, her? like, this is this is the movie that made me realize, like, how much I want her to be a star. Like, I want her to lead something finally. But I feel like she always just plays the the wife that gets left at home who we don't really get to see or like hang out with at all she's just kind of there um but she's also great in it so if you're interested at all in anything like this this is i think one of the quintessential movies to watch so exploration the new world whatever all right well let's move on to comic-con Um, so Comic-Con wrapped up this Sunday, and throughout this last week, we got a lot of great information coming out of that um, about upcoming movies, as well as some awesome trailers. Uh, what were you guys' favorite trailers that came out of Comic-Con? I mean, it's so cliched, but it's easily the Stranger Things trailer. Mm. Um, Stranger Things 2, I should say. Yeah. Uh, that trailer really blew me away. You know, I loved the first season um, and I'm anticipating the second season, but you know, you're always worried that they're going to rehash old tropes and that the second time when something so special comes, when it comes back around, it's not going to be a special. And that trailer got me really excited. I think that they, it looks like they have a really interesting story on their hands. It looks like they're like really going full throttle with this cast and this setting um i'm i'm ready for it yeah the stranger things trailer is really what i was feeling this week but i knew we were talking comic-con so i wanted to save it it's it's amazing and it's so i mean the way that the first season was put together made you think that they really got what made the series so special like everything that made it so fun and and such a, a pop culture phenomenon seemed really intentional but seeing this trailer and um, the way they uh, scored it to Thriller, the way that they were keeping so many of that dynamics together, even the fact that they're um, really working to make sure that they're filming these close together so that the kids don't like go through a gross spurt and suddenly there's a story continuity issue. Like I just I think they're doing so much right with this show and they're doing so much um, of like knowing what, the lightning in their bottle is made of and continuing it for a second season. It was just, the trailer is in, incredibly put together. It got me so stoked. And I'm so glad that they released it, that we were able to see it. Um, one of the other things about uh, Comic-Con this year is they did a lot better job of keeping all of the like Comic-Con exclusive trailers really exclusive to Comic-Con. Like there weren't leaks this year. Um, but I'm really happy for the things that they... Mm-hmm released mm-hmm. publicly i think for me the the trailer that came out that i'm m- most excited for is thor ragnarok yeah. i don't think it made me, i don't think it made me i think scale wise 
I got more excited for Stranger Things. I was already at a very high level of excitement for Thor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But this trailer just kind of like drove that home and confirmed it. Um, I... I'm so excited for this movie. I, like the, this trailer really amped up the comedy and the soundtrack sounds awesome. I cannot wait for this thing. I'm really glad that we got to see more of Kate Blanchett and Tessa Thompson in this next trailer uh, or the second trailer The their roles have me so excited. Kate Blanchett is giving us like the most delicious version of over the top, evil sorceress, witchy hero, like, for sure i'm in love with everything that she's giving us in this trailer um so that this movie has me excited for multiple reasons but that's a big one (laughs) yeah another reason i'm excited about this is i read recently from a comic-con interview that apparently like 80 percent of the dialogue is improvised in this or like at ad-libbed or off a riff or something i'm just like yes it's interesting to hear that this is taking us off on another tangent but like it's always so funny to me that people get so excited about that fact and to Mm -hmm. me that's only exciting if your actors are like really really funny people um Mm -hmm. and i just would prefer like a really well-written script i'm never excited by the idea that like they got to improv a lot yeah i I think i was just excited oh go ahead I was going to say specifically for what we've seen from Chris Hemsworth within the last year and just his comedy skills, I am excited to see him riff. Um, I'm not sure about 80% of the script being not a script (laughs) Um, just because of how strict Marvel is on, you know, the story that's being told and stuff like that. And I feel like it'd be very difficult to go off book. Um, But I am excited to see funny people like Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston um, be able to just kind of wing it sometimes. Yeah, and part and of Jeff what, Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> part of what the that script or what that interview said was that Taika Waititi would like scream line readings from behind the camera, and so not all of it being like completely unwritten, unscripted. It's obviously going off of the same bones, but just I'm excited about the fact that he said like I'll give a line reading to Anthony Hopkins. I don't care. Which is just so fun and interesting because Taika Waititi is so funny and has such a great comedic sensibility. Like the fact that he was able to really get in there and do that with this uh, was really exciting. And the larger thing that was exciting to me about it rather than like, oh, it's what a good ratio. You know the script's going to be 80% funny if it's 80% improvised. Like rather than that kind of thinking, the thing that is exciting to me about it is that Marvel let that happen. Um, yeah. I think I just got really nervous when uh, there were all these stories coming out about the Han Solo movie where they had really talented actor or really talented actors, really talented directors, and the directorial style being employed was one of a lot more like uh, organic, naturalistic, less like stri- stick to the book. And you would think that if you're hiring, you know, people who have such great hits under their belt, um, who got there for a reason, you would kind of give them the license to direct the way they direct. And whenever it, it was uh, a deal with Disney that it came out like, oh, no, they their style didn't click and the way they didn't, did it didn't work, I just got kind of nervous that this was becoming a little bit less uh, of a creative uh, enterprise or whatever. Like some of the yeah. stuff that really excited me about all these properties that disney owns is like oh they're gonna let awesome directors have a shot at all this stuff 
And mm-hmm. so, anyway, I was just worried for a second because of Han Solo and so the fact that um, they really are letting real directorial flair come through on this movie is what's exciting to me more than, you know, the actual 80%. Totally. Um, did either of y'all watch the Justice League trailer? Yes. So much more fun than last time, I will say that. They're trying to make that funny. They are wringing all the jokes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. still kind of into it. I it, It's honestly surprising to me how much these DC movies have not turned me away. Um, I'm kind of into it. I... One thing that I hate is when I watch a movie trailer for like a superhero movie and I can't figure out who the villain is, you know, it's like real big issue here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see a villain in this movie yet other than like vague alien threat. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think one of the, one of the most fun things about superhero movies is that you can cast some really interesting, fun actor to play this villainous role. Um, and so I don't see that here, and that has me concerned. But otherwise, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm actually, even though it's under like very tragic circumstances, um, I'm very interested to see what the final product looks like of having a movie co-directed by Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. Um, I, I'm just, I'm very intrigued at what that is, how that's going to turn out. Um, so I'm, I'm still. Into Justice League. <laughs> That's I'm, you know, I'm constantly wavering on DC, but right now I'm still on board. No, that's great. I want to be wrong, and I want this movie to be a course correction and for everything after this to be great for DC. It's not like I only want Marvel movies to be good superhero movies. It's just they have to introduce three new characters in this movie alone. Like, Marvel took 10 years to get to their first, like, multiple superhero movie, and DC took like three um so it's just it all feels really rushed the fact that they have to introduce three new characters um that no one has even seen before well, i mean Cy- cyborg no one's even seen before the other two are like brand new iterations of these superheroes and uh do all that is kind of what makes me think like oh it's just going to be a generic beam in the sky or like a a cgi bug army or something like that that they're fighting against which seems like a bummer, but maybe the they introduce everybody in a really great way. Maybe the interpersonal dynamics are so compelling that it doesn't matter that the villain sucks. Like it, or maybe the villain won't suck, and this just trailer didn't do a good job of showing them. I don't know. I hope it's good. Um, I know. I'm still very cautious. I know they're doing tons of reshoots for this movie. Um, right, which is encouraging. Well, and I'm just hoping that they've learned some lessons from the success of Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and about like how much the heart of Wonder Woman is part of its success and that they infuse that into Justice League. I'm only here for Robin Wright. <laughs> is she, she going to be in Justice League? She is. Yep. Okay. I saw that like some of the other Amazons were, but I didn't know when she was specifically making her. Every yep. Wonder Woman's going to have a flashback so Robin Wright can keep coming. <laughs> better. Any others? Uh, I love the black panther reaction video did y'all see that floating around twitter oh i didn't no i did not okay it's so great you guys y'all should check it out it's uh the so in hall h they showed um the second trailer for black panther as well as just like some footage like a clip of a sequence Um, Mm -hmm. and it didn't make it online anywhere but everyone in hall h loved it and the video that's going around twitter is showing all of the panel 
who had also just seen it for the first time. And they're like, Lupita Nyong'o's like dancing around, Chadwood Boseman and is like, oh shit. Like they're all just like going crazy. Like that's awesome. They are so stoked for the movie and the footage that they just saw and they had never seen it before. And so like, it just gives me so much joy and got me so amped. I was already couldn't be more excited for this movie, but seeing the people involved in it be that thrilled with what's coming out um, of the editing bay is just is so exciting. So uh, check that, give that a Google. It, it's really enjoyable. Will do. All right. Anything else out of Comic-Con? Nope. Okay. Moving on to Dunkirk. Um, so first I would like to establish where we are with Christopher Nolan. So what is you guys, what Christopher Nolan movies have you seen? What is your favorite one? I've seen the Batman movies and Inception and I love Inception. Boom. Lawson. So I found this tweet from at Mr. Jeremy Dillon on Twitter. It said, sometimes being a Nolan fan is what I imagine being a liberal Christian is like constantly distracting. Uh, constantly distancing yourself from the fundamentalists. That's yes. very true because yes. while I have I enjoy Christopher Nolan movies, I can't stand Christopher Nolan fanboys. They yeah. drive me crazy. I am the exact same way. So that's my feeling. I have enjoyed everything of Christopher Nolan's I have seen. Um, I haven't seen his very first film. I didn't see Insomnia. Um, but I saw Memento. I saw... Uh, the Batman movies and Inception and Interstellar and now Dunkirk. And I have, I've thoroughly enjoyed everything that he's done. Um, I was able to see IMAX or Interstellar in IMAX 70 millimeter and Dunkirk in IMAX 70 millimeter. And I think I saw the Dark Knight Rises in IMAX as well. Um, we are lucky enough to have a, a film IMAX kind of close to us in Nashville. Um, but I really like, he's basically the only director that I shell out those big dollars for. Um, Mm -hmm. I really respect the way that he puts together these movies, um, and his kind of vision for, uh, using resources and, uh, the increased capacity of the film industry, um, as in using really great IMAX cameras and film and using really great practical effects and... Yeah, um, I'm just I'm really into that, and uh, I've really identified with a lot of the stories that he's made. Um, I think a lot of the plots revolve a little bit too much around like this is a man figuring out how to be a man so that men can man men. Um, but <laughs> I, I, being a man, I have really enjoyed them um, and uh, gotten a lot out of them through adolescence and into adulthood. Yeah, I. I would say I I think the Prestige is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Um, but oh, I, I, I left tot- that one out. That one's so yeah. good. <laughs> I totally agree with you on kind of you guys' thoughts on on Nolan. Like I I love Nolan, but I feel like and I I'm I somebody said this and I'm forgetting who, where where it came from. But somebody was saying like that. So D- Donald Trump is a um, poor person's is what a, a, Donald Trump is what a poor person thinks a rich person looks like, and Christopher Nolan is what a 
um, a dumb person thinks a genius looks like. And not, <laughs> not that he's not a genius, right. just that, just that like, that is kind of the, the, the aspect of like how he portrays himself and how he makes his movies that make you think that he is so smart. And I think his movies are extremely well-written and the story is great, but a lot, a lot of what he does is walk you through kind of these mysteries and stuff like that that make you feel like you are one of the smartest people in the world for kind of figuring this out as you go um which when really he's just kind of laying it out for you this is the first movie that i don't think has had a like a mystery element to it like something that to figure out um and i really kind of loved that about this movie he's just setting you in this world war ii world and just letting you live in it for an hour and 40 minutes which is about all i could take like that i i'm so mm. glad this is not a two and a half hour movie i think this is the perfect amount of time um to be in this world yeah i totally thought whenever i saw the first teaser trailer because of all of the nolan verse films like mm-hmm. that this was going to have a sci-fi element or like a mystery element or some kind of like <laughs> game underpinning that you had to figure out some magical realism and so i i I was kind of thinking like, oh, I'm definitely going to see this movie regardless. I should just watch the teaser and then go in blind. But I'm glad that I watched the other trailers because I would have gone in and been like, okay, so what's, you know, which part of this this is the Matrix? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It was great. Who's actually here from the future, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. Sandra, what what were your thoughts on the movie? Um, So like I mentioned earlier, I really try to avoid war movies. It's just not my thing. Um, they're usually all about like masculinity and violence and despair. And those are all three, three things that I avoid in my art. Um, and so I was interested in this movie because it's Nolan and the teasers were gorgeous. Then I was incredibly interested in this movie because Harry Styles is in it and making his debut as an actor. Um, Then I kind of lost interest in it because I realized that I was signing myself up to see a war movie that I never do. Um, And then I kind of regained interest when people were like when the reviews that were coming out were really positive. Um, And I thought this movie was really, really good. It's not a movie that I, I don't know if I would like go out and tell people they have to see this movie. I don't know if I would ever watch this movie again. But I'm incredibly glad that I saw this movie in a theater and that I saw it right now. Um, it's it's really good. And all the acting in it is, it's an even layout of talented actors doing very small, important roles. You know, there's not a star. There's not someone who you walk away from this movie and you're blown away by their performance, supporting or starring. It's just everyone getting small moments of telling this story together, um, which is really refreshing because you don't, you rarely get a true ensemble like this anymore. Um, And actors that are incredibly talented giving, um, performing roles that have very little dialogue. Um, So it was really refreshing to see people turn out for a movie like this, um, both actors and audiences. Uh, Harry Styles is very good. Um, I'm, I was very interested in some of the choices made for his character that we can talk about later. Um, 
I'm trying to think of any other big things that I want to get into before spoilers, but just that I was on the edge of my seat the entire film. I'm a person that like spooks easily during movies, like any kind of jump scare in a horror movie or an action movie is going to get me like I'm going to react strongly. And so that was definitely the case in this movie. Um, I think, I was really nervous about the war aspect of this movie. And one of the great things about this movie is that it is a war movie, definitely. But it is not, uh, there's not the same kind of bravado that most war movies have. It is Mm -hmm. truly a film about, like, the deepest moments of despair with glimmers of hope. And um, I think that's a really compelling Thing to tell a story about yeah so I, I i was really impressed with it i will say my as, like the score elevates this movie uh, so much yes. for me the oh, score completely. and just the sound design like so good it's also not like i can usually i have a hans zimmer like playlist that i like will play at work every once in a while um this is not going on there at all just because of how tense this score makes me. I listened to it at work yesterday, and I was like, I can't do this again. I'm sorry. I just my heart rate went up. So the, yeah, the score in that opening scene is so. It is the perfect piece of music to really make you understand how tense this entire situation is. I couldn't believe how much they kept up tension. Like this movie reminds me nothing of anything I've ever seen from Kubrick. But as far as like maintaining tension for a longer time than I thought was possible. This is like Kubrick levels of I just shoulders above my ears for an hour and 40 minutes. It was this was so good. Yeah, I, I loved this movie. Uh, Sandra, I think the way you said it was really good. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. Just something about like, I don't know if I need to rush out and tell everyone to see it. Um, I don't know how many times I would plan on seeing it again, but I'm so glad that I saw it and that I saw it in a theater. Um, a lot of people are throwing around the word masterpiece for this. Um, I don't. It feels it feels different to me from other movies, from other cinema, um, from other movies that Christopher Nolan has done. And I don't know if that's because uh, it is so specific. It is such a specific slice of um, of history and done so well. Uh, I don't know if part of me kind of feels like this is just the most well done. Um, you know how sometimes you go to like uh, a natural history museum or an omni theater and it's just, they have a huge screen and they're basically showing you a documentary or an informational film. This felt kind of like that. Like it felt like, obviously it's fictionalized, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's scripted, but it felt kind of like this is just showing you what Dunkirk was. Um, and it's not trying to do more than that. It's not. It's definitely not doing any less than that. Um, this was fascinating to me as how specific it was, focusing directly on the British. I mean, this is it's a World War II movie, and I don't. I don't think I saw a swastika one time in this. Um, you like really don't see the enemy in this, aside from like bullets that are being shot, or like you see some of the planes um, that are going around, but. It's really just focused on um, the people in the British Navy and infantry, and uh, it's 
it really makes you feel, I don't know, I've never been in war, I've never known any of that stuff, but like the stuff that sometimes feels false or feels overglorified or feels uh, troublesome with World War II movies is whenever they take the extra effort to make everyone, um, give everyone a, a plot, and then as soon as they have this amazing backstory, then they die, that kind of a thing. Um, this movie felt like survival. It felt like everyone was a face. Like, I could identify everybody's face, but I don't think I knew, like, any of the characters' names. Um, and it really, like you said, Sandra, made for an incredible ensemble cast and also made the huge masses. I mean, they had so many extras in this movie, but it made all of the people feel like people. It made it really the sense of scale stuck with you because there were so many different people uh, instead of focusing on, like, one protagonist and everyone else is disposable. Everyone felt like they were in the same amount of danger. It felt like there was the same amount of tension for everyone. Um, and it it really, I don't know, it felt very, um, very honest to me. And I, I really appreciated that about this film. Lucas, what did you think? I think we you started talking about the score and then we kind of devolved. Um, what were your thoughts on just like the general movie? Oh yeah, no. So I, I definitely think that this um this movie plays into the um or plays up the something that we don't normally see in war movies, which is the waiting. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of waiting in war and just kind of that anticipation of something happening and yet nothing's happening yet. Um, and a lot of movies just do not go into that at all because that's boring. Um, but. I think here we get to see how tense that is and how very much not boring it is and how stressful and um, draining that is. But one thing that I felt like was really, I was, I was very, I was very uncomfortable with it at first, but the fact that almost everybody on the beach is a young um, brown haired man. And I, for, for me at first, that was very difficult to like, trying because i was coming at this from the perspective all right we're going to meet characters and try and like pick out okay who's who like who are we supposed to be following here and the main guy that we start to follow at the very beginning of this movie just kind of blends in with everybody else and i think that's very a great choice that like honestly you have two blonde guys in this movie and they're not on the beach and so everyone who's on the beach just becomes a person on the beach um which was really interesting and it also as this movie started i realized I don't really know what Harry Styles looks like. Um, I know who's going to be in this movie, but I don't know what he looks like. And so at first, when you first get introduced to the first guy, I was kind of like, is, is this Harry Styles? I don't like, I, I'm not sure. Like, I was like, I've seen him. Like, I know he's given interviews. I don't think I've ever like actually like paid attention to what he looks like. I know he has long hair, but I know he cut it for the movie. So it could be anybody. And so when, when he, when he did show up, I was like, okay, yes, that is, that is definitely him. But for, for, for a while, like in this movie, I was just kind of like, well, uh, I don't know. Any of First guys guy, could be him. he looks like Christian Bale's kid or something. <laughs> He's so skinny. Uh, there's also just not a lot of dialogue in this movie, which is awesome. Like mm-hmm. there's, I mean, People talk to each other, but I mean, comparatively, I, I wish I can't wait till somebody like brings out a count of like how many words Tom Hardy said or <laughs> like just because they all do such great performances. Um, but most of it is without a lot of dialogue, which is awesome. I would just we haven't really talked about cinematography at all. 
And there were shots that, like, especially during, like, some of the flying scenes um, mm-hmm. that were breathtaking. I, 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 it's so cliche to say, like, you feel like you're flying when there's a beautiful <laughs> shot of someone flying in a movie. But you really do. The expanse over the water and just the airplane and the shore and... Um, yeah, there were moments during those scenes where I was just like, I can't believe that this is that he got this made. That it's, you know, you don't, you yeah. never know how much is CGI and how much is real when it comes to like these old airplanes being in the shots. But it looks right. perfect. So who cares? He got all of them <laughs> made. That's what's nuts to me. Like all the, the behind the scenes stuff on this about all the recreation stuff he got. Like yeah, I think the crash um, scene was like really crashing a perfect recreation um or like a crash scene not to we're not in spoilers yet but like a plane at one point goes into the ocean and it's exactly what it would have been um i know it's unreal harry styles said in an interview about this movie that like so much of the acting at least from him and like the actors that were around him through the majority of this movie um, that so much of the acting isn't really acting because they were in situations that felt very scary. You know, they're yeah. hearing sounds that sound like gunfire. They're in water where it seems like they're drowning. You know, like all these different environments. He's like, you know, w- they're, they're w- the acting part wasn't very hard because it felt terrifying. And uh, like, uh, yeah. oh, totally. So, yeah. Yeah being they really were just like a ton of guys on that beach being put through conditions that um were obviously not quite as like not as dangerous as the real war conditions but in a heightened sense of awareness Mm -hmm. can i ask what i mean i'm sure this movie as you talked about the cinematography i'm sure it's beautiful in any format but what format did you guys end up seeing it in i just saw it in a regular old movie theater uh, 70 millimeter MX for me. Very cool. Yeah, it's, I totally agree with you, Sandra. This, especially the flying scenes, I don't, I'm trying to think of, I guess I just don't see very mo- many movies with planes in them, but like, I haven't felt like that in a theater. It was just, it was incredible. Those scenes were so, so incredible. And the amount of this movie that was shot, if, um, if you do see it in IMAX, I think I remember like, less than two or five minutes not being an IMAX. Like, yeah. the aspect ratio barely changed. For a second there, I was like, oh, this entire thing is an IMAX, but then there were, like, one or two shots on one of the the private um, the private boat that weren't. But it was... It's incredible. It's... Um, I think it's transportive and enveloping regardless of what format you see it in, but um, the sound and the scale and the scope of, of the IMAX was really worth it for this for me so i would mm-hmm. say if you're like if you want to see it i mean it very much to me is an experience film um you know we're about to go into spoilers but i feel like it's one of those movies where even if you knew the plot beat for beat it wouldn't be spoiled because seeing this is something completely different than um than hearing about it or knowing about it so agreed um yeah i say see it on the biggest screen you can I think I saw somewhere that this is Christopher Nolan's biggest uh, middle finger to the idea of downloading a movie on your phone. So go check it out while it's still in theaters. All right, let's talk spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? 
Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay, since we're in the spoiler section, we talked about earlier how often Chris Nolan has, like, a magical realism or a twist or, you know, something. Mm -hmm. So... Towards the end of this movie, I thought I found a twist, but I didn't. <laughs> so what happened was, not that I was sitting through this movie expecting there to be a twist. I wasn't. Um, but towards the end of this movie, I was like, oh, there's a twist! And not really a twist, but more of a reveal. Um, but then it was immediately shot down. When Mark Rylance, um, someone asked Mark Rylance, like, how do you know about all this plane stuff? And he goes, my son is one of you guys. In my head, I was like, Tom Hardy's his son. Tom Hardy is his son. Oh, man. But then immediately his other son goes, yeah, he died three weeks into the war. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, Tom Hardy's not his son. But I really had a moment there where I was like, it's oh, all connected. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, what an emotional gut punch, though, whenever that scene happened. Like, he died three weeks into the war. Like, what a guy. This is just, I want you to be my dad now, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Like Mark Rylance being classic Mark Rylance. Yeah. I know. Just, so just having his own hurt and then not wanting other parents to feel that hurt so much so that he's willing to put himself in danger. Just such a beautiful thing. Okay. Yeah. We didn't talk about the timeline aspect of yes. this movie. Yes. Um, so the jumps were very interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Did you... One, I, I didn't know that that was... That that's kind of how it was. It was split up over three timelines did you guys understand that when the title or when the cards came up i didn't but then i eventually started to um, okay i like i think the cillian murphy thing um mm -hmm. or killian murphy thing really kind of cemented it to me that like oh this is all happening but at different speeds yeah when, when you see him at night in the boat yes for the first time the first time we see him not with Mark Rylance. Exactly. Although I yeah. will say during the movie, I was a little confused about him because I thought when we first see him and he's floating, you know, and then he gets rescued by Mark Rylance, mm -hmm. I thought he was floating on top of a plane and oh. I thought he was like one of the pilots that went down. Um, Got it. And so I was like, oh, that first pilot that went down, it was Killian Murphy. He's floating on top of his plane, you know? Um, okay, mm -hmm. this is all news to me. This is so helpful. <laughs> and then then I was like, oh, no, he wasn't a pilot. He was on the beach. And so then after I watched the movie, I kind of got it figured out that, like, he must have gone back out into the water at one point on a boat or something mm -hmm. that also sank. Yeah. And so he was sitting on the boat. Uh, but we just never saw his boat go out, you know? Right, um, right. I think that's my one complaint, is that a little, it could have been a little less confusing if we saw Killian Murphy going out to sea again, as if, like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. crossing the channel, and we know, oh, like, you're not going to make it, you're going to get picked up by Mark Rylance. Um, right. But we never got to see that takeoff. We just saw him in, like, a lifeboat bringing people back to shore, mm -hmm. um, which was helped me realize the, the timeline thing, but didn't really help me understand his journey. Mm -hmm. um, so that was like my one like confusion. Yeah. I thought that each of the time measurements underneath each of the locations or modes of transport were like how long it was going to take to get to England from there. So I thought oh. it was like, 
Mm. From the dock or from the mole, it takes a week. From By air, it only takes an hour by all these different things. And so I was, I thought that it was just like jumping back a little bit to show you what happened from another angle each time it did that. I never understood that it was like all on different time frames and all yeah. of like, you guys talking about this is making the movie make so much more sense. It right. makes me want to see it again. Which is why mm-hmm. like, yeah, so the the beach is everything happens over the course of a week. Um, the boat is everything happens over the course of a day because it doesn't take that long to get across the channel. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the plane, everything happens over the course of an hour, um, right? Which is why you see a lot of things happen twice or sometimes right. three times. So like you see Tom Hardy see an oil tanker tipped over before the oil tanker gets tipped over in the other timelines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back, yeah. like, A, I love that they just did that. They, like, did it in a way to where it's, like, you're smart. You can figure this out. Yeah. But, B, I was not smart, and so now I'm very <laughs> excited to see it again now that my smart friends have explained it to me. It, it's really interesting, and at times I thought it was, like, employed in really cool ways. But I will say that it does add to a lot of confusion because there are so many different boats that sink, that you're just like, mm-hmm. which boat is this now? Like, we're, we're like, <laughs> yeah. All these British boys look the same. All these boats look the same. <laughs> yes, they're all yeah. sinking. So there, it's definitely confusing. But that didn't. Um, I still enjoyed the film despite being mm-hmm. confused at times, which I think is to like me, the true testament to it. Is that yeah. yeah? Even Killian Murphy being on the, which I'm now realizing was him whenever he was on the lifeboat i was like oh that guy looks like killian murphy but like it it can't be because he was in a plane like okay this is all coming together yeah i think i think for me the confusion added to it because like when we saw um tom hardy's co-pilot friend whatever Uh go down we saw we saw that first yeah and we saw a boat coming up and then we saw it again from the perspective of mark rylance in that boat coming up later pilot being stuck exactly and for me like the fact that we 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 weren't sure if it was the same person like we we assumed but like there was a little bit of tension there of just a little bit of like dissonance of like not sure exactly what the outcome of this is going to be what's going to happen and like we see the boat coming up but we don't know if they're going to get there in time you know like Mm -hmm. you know that like help is near but you don't know but when a plane is sinking like yeah. There's only so much you can do. And so, yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh, is he going to reach him in time versus, yeah, is he going to like, yeah, it's it. I liked how they made it tense, but not hopeless for like almost every yes. scene. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, So I want to say the one scene that made me start crying um, was when the beautiful beautiful blonde son um says to killian murphy that his friend is okay when he just yeah. found out his friend has died um just that moment of grace for someone that you obviously are so angry at um and understanding of where that person is coming from and giving them that moment of like and not burdening him with that guilt is uh, was so so beautiful and really got me. It really really got me. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I think that like the fact that we only really saw like two or three people like get like characters get killed in this, um, and 
the way that this kid, who's really the first person to die in this movie that we know, um, is so sad and just so, it feels like so pointless. Yeah. Um, and yet, like, I, I, I love the way that kind of the characters revolve around that, that we get, that we get kind of, yeah, we get, I forget, again, we don't have a lot of names for these characters. Right, George but is that kid's name, character's is it, name. The, the the blonde kid oh, though. Oh, I was talking about the the one that died. Right, yeah. right. What's the but but yeah the the, the reaction we get from the blonde kid. Ralphie. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, the reaction we get from the blonde kid and Mark Rylance's character and kind of how they interact with that the the soldier. Um, I just thought was so so good, just so beautiful. Um, the shot of our French soldier soldier mm, um, yeah. dying and just the hand disappearing yep. was truly mm, yep. haunting. You know, mm-hmm. um, I told my friend after we saw this movie that watching this movie was like watching the ending of Titanic just over and over and over <laughs> again. That, like, it's true. It's just watching boat after boat sink and and hundreds of people drown, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, if not thousands, I guess, really. Um, yeah. And it's just like really, you know, this movie is very dark, like really awful and moments in that like wow so many when that first ship sinks and it's just all of the injured people and you just yeah. realize that every single person that was injured that they were trying to get out first mm-hmm. just immediately died is yeah really really dark yeah yeah, yeah. this um, movie oh go ahead. No, go ahead i was just gonna say it does not it doesn't shy away from or gloss over or glorify any of that stuff like the whole movie feels like felt like an act in survival um as much as i can honestly say i enjoyed this movie you know there is a temptation to say something as dramatic like you survived this movie because it is so tense and it's so every um every moment every time they feel like they're uh about to be saved every time it feels like they're about to uh, make it off the beach every time. It doesn't matter how far out a boat is. It doesn't matter how uh, well-structured the boat is. It doesn't matter how comfortable they've become. Throughout this whole movie, um, even when the music swells got optimistic, I still didn't trust it. And um, I think that's a really great achievement of this film is the ability to make it feel like anyone is at risk at any moment and that's that's how it was that's the that's the truth of the situation it's such a freaky situation and i didn't know part of me you know thinking that this movie was had a sci-fi element to it was i just i didn't know my history you know i didn't know about the battle of dunkirk i didn't know about the miracle at dunkirk i didn't know about um that like really uh well-publicized chapter of World <laughs> War II history. Um, but it makes it feel really miraculous, the fact that 300,000 people made it off that beach when you are really faced to, or really forced to confront how helpless the situation was, how they were all just, like, kind of sitting ducks while the Air Force, you know, picked them off, how so many, like you said, Sandra, of these dark, dark things were the realities that they were faced with. Um, I, yeah, I, I felt, um, an aspect of World War II that I've never felt, um, is, is seeing a movie about it before. Mm-hmm. 
I felt it was like it was super patriotic too. Like I'm not British, but I just felt like like watching watching that. I was just like, oh man, it must be great to be British right now. <laughs> As you're like, watching oh. this movie, like. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like they don't they don't like pull that thread the entire way through the movie. I feel like at the beginning it is just like you said, like it's survival. Like it is nobody nobody cares at all about their country. It's just get me off, like get, get me off of this place. I need to leave. Um, right, grabbing that you stretcher really, like a ticket. What? Sorry, when they grab that stretcher like a ticket. Oh yeah, they're like, yeah. oh this guy's alive. We can yep. get off. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Like yeah, I th- I think I th- and I think it plays up well. Like you get to see um, Kenneth Braun's character at the end, just kind of saying like he's staying and waiting to for the for the French. I'm gonna stay and help um, save the French. Is great. Like we just saw the British evacuate. Like the French are all still there. Right. <laughs> mm. Ugh, yeah. man. Um, I want to say that I was truly shocked that Harry Styles did not die in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I was like so sure that they were going to kill him in like the first 40 minutes and, uh, and they didn't. And so I'm grateful for that. My temptation was to say they did make him the cowardly character, but, um, I really don't think they did. I think they just showed a very human side of him. Sort of like antagonistic. Um, which I think is really interesting to take like this, person who's never acted before he had some of the most lines of the movie you know it's true he did and yeah like i think he came in number tw- number two behind like rylance right <laughs> and and to give him um like this intense scene that's like really important to the movie yeah and to make him like a pretty important character um i was just very surprised by um that he wasn't just like a side beautiful british boy whose face we follow yeah. and love um, right. Yeah. So uh, I thought he was good. I think I think this is a hard movie to be bad in because mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. such expert hands crafting this film and yep. very little dialogue and it, like I said, realistic ish conditions that you're shooting under. Um, so I think he's good, but like that that's not. I wouldn't. I'm not saying that Harry Styles need to be cast and everything after watching this. Okay. Yeah. I. Like, the fact that they showed him and everyone else in this sense of, like, oh, we're in survival mode, and that is a totally crazy thing. Like, one of, I think, Harry Styles' uh, best lines in this is that uh, survival isn't... Er, well, now I don't even remember it right, but it's something like survival isn't fair or survival isn't right or something like that. Whenever they're, like, saying, we have to get this French guy off the boat, and he's like, I can't... And then the kind of our, you know... Christopher Nolan's kid, whatever his, his <laughs> um, whoever the main character is, um, is like, no, I won't let you do that. Um, it, it really, like, you feel both sides of that argument. You feel them being like, I'm not bad, I'm not, I'm just crazy because this is such a insane situation. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, I love their humanity in those moments. It's kind of barely there, but I do think that Harry Styles' character gets, like, a little bit of redemption after that scene where mm-hmm. they're all trying to escape that boat after it's sinking, and the French kid is trying to plug up holes. And Harry Styles yeah. is like, no, stop, come on, we're, like, we're all getting off. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it, it just shows that, like, he wasn't, yeah, his scene wasn't coming from a place of hate. It was coming from a place of fear. And, yeah. um, 
and that doesn't mean that he was, you know, right in that other scene that he was, he was definitely in the wrong, but still that like, um, yeah, that like he, he, he isn't like a heartless person that's like leaving other people to die. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there was like another small moment between his character and our main English boy's character that I think his name is Tommy. Okay. Uh, the, the English boy that's not Harry Styles. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I think Harry Styles <laughs> the is not Alex. Harry Styles guy. Um, I, I think it's just Harry Styles. <laughs> right. Uh, so there's a scene <laughs> when they finally get onto Mark Rylance's boat where Tommy just gives him like the slightest of nods. Yes. You know, yeah. that's just kind of like, look, we're we're here. We're not going to like talk about the rest. Like we're just moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Another act of grace. There's right. so much graciousness in this film. Right. Yep. There, there was a moment in this movie probably like the seventh time a boat is going out to water. We hear those airplanes <laughs> coming when I just yeah. like looked at the person I was seeing the movie with just being like, Oh, again, it's relentless. It's just like every time <laughs> they fill a boat, there come those damn airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I really, I really was impressed. This is a movie that like the more I sit with it, the more I like it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, um, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that this movie has come out during the summer um, as like yes. an Oscar-baiting movie. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I don't have a lot of opinions about that other than I'm really intrigued to see what this movie looks like come Oscar season uh, and what the buzz about it is. Yeah, I definitely feel like if this had come out, you know, November, December, like there'd be so much buzz about it. And um, I'm curious to see if that stays uh, now, I mean, we we have had kind of spring summer movies get nominated for Best Picture with Mad Max and Grand Budapest Hotel and stuff like that. But I I think it's a great move on the studio's part to not crowd it into Oscar season. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because this is like if you if if you have a limited amount of time to watch these movies, this is probably not one I would. Um, jump to immediately if I have a list of Oscar movies just because it is a war movie and you know it's going to be depressing and that kind of thing and so having it be kind of a blockbuster summer hit like everyone will have seen this by the time November and December roll around once the but it's just whether they can keep the buzz around till voting yeah well and that's another thing that I think has been absent from the Oscars for a couple years now is a movie that has some mainstream appeal that most people have seen and are rooting for so, mm-hmm. and that is what I think gets a lot of viewer, viewers at the Oscars themselves. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I hope that more studios start doing this. They start yeah. pushing their pieces in summer and spring and um, not cramming, not making a, a movie viewing schedule in December completely impossible. Um, it helps you, like, have time to see these movies, enjoy them, and... Uh, kind of I don't know even ruminate on them like I think my fondness for this movie is probably going to grow over time Mm -hmm. and I think that that there are plenty of movies that I have seen in December as like Oscar bait movies that if I had seen them in summer I would have loved them and probably even revisited them and liked them more by the time my Oscars came around so yeah I hope that they start spreading them out like this well I think that about wraps it up for us uh until next week We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at FeelingItPod and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash FeelingItPod. 
Guys, where can people find you individually throughout the week? All of my social media is on at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find all my beautiful pictures of my life in California at Lucas and Stuff. Ha 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 ha. So funny. And you can find all of my stuff at Lawson West, spelled L-A-W. Law, no, what is it? Uh, it's law as in law. Sun law as, as in the in practice. The sun. sun as in daughter. West as in Kanye. Guys, remember the time Lawson <laughs> said sun as in like moon or something? Yeah, yep. sun is in yep. the wrong sun. Right. The wrong I still sun. have that audio. There's only two um, kinds. It's made me la- it always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's why I stopped is I was like, oh, I have this clever way to remember and I tried it once and botched it, which is why <laughs> yep. no one has heard it since yep. then. So, until today. I might, okay. I might start this episode with that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, adios. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 